Welcome to the weekend worship service of North Park Baptist Church online. Wherever you're watching and whoever you're watching with, we're glad that you've joined us today. We know that many things are uncertain and a lot of things in our everyday life are in flux, but we want to encourage you that our mission here at North Park Baptist Church has remained the same. We want to be disciples of Jesus who help make disciples of Jesus. So wherever you're watching and whoever you're watching with, we pray that today will be an encouragement and a help to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. We do want to acknowledge that it's Memorial Day weekend. Right now there's a lot of debate and we're all trying to figure out how do we best exercise our rights as Americans, whether it's individually or even as churches, about how we should worship or when it's appropriate. Today we just want to pause and be thankful that we have opportunity to have those discussions. There are people who sacrificed much so that we could have these liberties and freedoms. And today we just pause to remember them. I want to remind you that this morning, Sunday morning, at 1030, we're having our first drive-in worship service at our property on Four Mile. Uh, you just drive your car. Uh, you stay in your car, but you tune in through your radio, and you get sound that way. So we're doing that this Sunday, but also next Sunday. And we'd love to have you come out and give that a try. We think that'll be a, a good experience to be able to see everybody and worship together and hear the sermon together, even though we're not able to be together in the building yet. That does remind us that we sent out some communication about our future plans heading into June. Of course, the governor just extended the Safer at Home uh, policy, and so we'll be discussing that as elders and making final preparations for steps that we believe are appropriate to take, and we'll communicate those to you as soon as we've done so. I do want to remind you that ministries continue to go on throughout the week. Uh, we're posting devotionals on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday related to the book of Mark that we're studying, and uh, love to have you tune in and check that out. Also remind you that the kids continue to have a Sunday morning class uh, with Kurt and Patty Stevens through Zoom. In our student ministry, our small groups have continued on Wednesday nights, and on Sunday night we have a Zoom party where we can have some fun, play a game, and even give away some prizes. So we're glad that we continue to have those opportunities. Thank you very much for your generosity. Our finances have done fairly well uh, going through this pandemic, and we appreciate that you honor God and you support our ministry. And so there are three different ways that you can make those gifts available to us. Uh, the first is online, where you can go to our website and look for the Give icon down at the bottom. Uh, you can text it right now, if you'd like, to NPBC to 616-275-2777. Or you can mail us a check, and we do check our mail frequently. Thank you again for your generosity. Now we join the service as we worship together in song. Good morning. In Psalm 103, we read, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Let's sing together this morning.
continue in our service, we want to take now a moment to pray together. And uh, if you're by yourself or if you are with some other people, you can pause the screen and look at these requests. Just take a moment to pray uh, on your own, and then we're going to have Pastor Tom come and lead us in prayer. Uh, a couple things that you could pray for are our governing officials as they seek to make decisions, our elders, again, as we continue to work and make decisions about how to open up safely. Uh, pray for business owners as they seek to safely open their businesses and pray for unity in the church as different members have different opinions about what steps we should take. Again, we recognize that uh, the situations are complex, but we want to honor Christ and we want to have unity as we move forward making the best decisions that we can. So take some time to pray for just a moment and then Tom will come and lead us in prayer. It's by the grace of God that we're able to gather together in a drive-in service today, as well as in the online venue. Let's give thanks to God, shall we, that um, at least we have a start at re-entering as a community of believers. Well, let's pray. Loving Father, we're grateful that a sizable portion of our congregation can gather for worship today, even though it's in our cars. Thank you for establishing the idea in the first place of believers worshiping in community. We cherish our church family more than ever. Heavenly Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, we thank you for the freedom we have in America to even gather in public worship. Thank you for the men and women who paid the supreme sacrifice in the many wars since our nation was born. God. Would you bring comfort to the families and close friends of those who laid down their lives for our freedom? Gracious Father, would you preserve the many freedoms that we enjoy? Today we pray for the needs of our church family. They're diverse and they are many. We give thanks that Joni Clausen's hip surgery was successful. Thank you that Joe Curlick recovered from the COVID virus and was able to return to work. Now we pray for Pastor Phil as he's about to bring the message to us. We ask the Holy Spirit will open our hearts to what you have to say to us today. Would you make the urgency of following Jesus paramount as we prioritize how we use each hour that you give us? We pray you would create a wonderful spirit of unity within our church. Help us to rise above personal preferences for the common good of all. Please help our leaders to know how to reopen when it's time. We pray you will help us to be faithful in our stewardship to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning and thank you again for joining us on our online service. We're glad you're able to join us. We 
uh, hope that you're able to join us here in two weeks when we uh, reopen services, able to come and join us. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into today's sermon. Uh, Dearly Father, we're just so thankful that we can gather, and uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, as we study your word, that that you will uh, make it clear to us, Lord, that you'll speak through it. We know your word is powerful, and it's active, sharper than a double-edged sword, it penetrates to our hearts, Lord, and so we just pray that you'll speak through your word today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, maybe if you remember, there was that show in the 80s and 90s called Who's the Boss? And it was the question of, in, the, in that household, that particular household, who was the boss? I was reading a story this week about a young husband who was frustrated with his marriage, and so he decided to go to a psychiatrist. And when he was with the psychiatrist, the doctor told him, you know, you don't have to let your wife bully you. Go home and show her that you're the boss. So the young man went home, slammed the door, shook his fist and said to his wife, from now on, you're taking orders from me. When I get home from work, I want my supper ready on the table. I want my clothes laid out every morning when I get up to get ready for work. And tonight I will be going out with the boys. You will be staying home. And another thing, do you know who's going to tie my tie? And she said, yes, I do. The undertaker. And the reality was he was thinking, I'm the boss, but that was not the real case. Now, that's a funny illustration, but the question then becomes, who is the boss of your life? Where is authority in your life? Do you see yourself as the source of supreme authority, or do you see something else? And this this section we're going to read today, there's a question of where authority comes from, and there's also a question of, What does your heart really look like? So let's open to Mark 7. We're going to begin in Mark 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. Now this isn't the first time we see this. Earlier in Mark, in chapter 3, we see that they had sent some uh, Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. Uh, word had spread about Jesus' miracles and about his teaching, and so they went on a fact-finding mission. And at that time, Jesus made them so upset that they started to plan uh, to murder him. Not really an ideal situation. We also see something like this with John the Baptist. They sent a group there to check him out. So we can assume that these Pharisees and scribes had bad intentions because there were already some plots to kill Jesus. Continues in verse 2. And saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So here's what happened. As they're observing, they notice that the disciples don't go through this ceremonial washing of hands. Now, in the law, there was no rule about just regular people washing their hands. There was this ceremonial cleansing that the Levites, the priests, before they went into the temple, would go through. But over time, the the religious leaders had instituted this through oral traditions, something that we're going to talk about in a second, the tradition of the elders. 
And as part of the tradition of the elders, before you would eat, you would need to go through this ceremonial cleansing uh, process to make sure you didn't have defiled hands. Now, this isn't about hygiene. You know, right now we're in the midst of this pandemic and everybody says, wash your hands for 20 seconds. That's not what this is about. This isn't about hygiene. It's about a spiritual defilement that would happen. And so as the, the religious leaders are observing these things, they notice that the disciples aren't doing it. And Mark explains it a little bit because Mark is writing to a Gentile audience probably in Rome. And so he says, not only... When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, the pitchers, and the kettles. So as they're observing this happening, they're they're thinking, wow, we caught Jesus. On that same slide, notice they say, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Do you hear the accusatory tone? If you're really a good rabbi, you wouldn't allow your disciples to break the tradition of the elders. This has ramifications on you. This demonstrates that you're not a good rabbi. You're not a good teacher. One of the commentaries I was reading was noticing the pride that was thick in this accusation. The pride is often the root cause of many of these struggles. And we look at the, at the Pharisees. They knew in their minds they had it right. And Jesus was wrong. In verse 6, Jesus replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Now, it's easy for us to criticize the Pharisees. You know, we look at things like ceremonial hand washing. We look at things like how they, when they tithe, they even tithe mint and cumin, these spices. You know, here's nine kernels of salt. Here's one kernel for God, that kind of thing. It's easy for us to criticize that, but... If you really try to put a Pharisee in today's service, these would be the type of people that attended every service. They tithed religiously. They spoke out against sin. They memorized the scriptures. They prayed often. They were conservative in their theology and their practice. They would probably be people that would be nominated for deacon or elder. Everyone else on the outside would look at them and say, they know what they're doing. They have it right. And yet Jesus calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. A Greek word that means actors. People that would act in a play were hypocrites. And so he's calling them religious actors or or pretenders. And notice what he says when he uses Isaiah. And he says Isaiah is actually prophesying about them, about these Pharisees and scribes. They honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. They worship. Their worship is useless. It's an insincere worship. It's not true worship. They're teaching human rules. They let go of the commands of God and they're holding on to human tradition. 
And so Jesus is going to give an example of how they do that. Because they might be saying, that's absolutely not true. That's a false accusation. How could you call us hypocrites? And so he goes into one example, verse 9. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So what would happen, what was happening, is let's say, let's put it in today's context. Well, first, let's backtrack. Let's go back to to that context. In that context, there's no 401ks. There's no Social Security. And so as a father and mother would would grow up and as they started to get old, in the same way that it was their responsibility to take care of their children when they were young, it was their children's responsibility to take care of them when they got older. And so it's part of that society. But what was happening in that time is religious leaders and others who were often very rich would say, let's say I have a million dollars. I don't have a million dollars. This is a hypothetical situation. Um, I wish I could make the hypothetical situation real, but this is a hypothetical situation. I have a million dollars, and my parents are getting old, and I don't want to use any of my money to help my parents. And so what I simply do is I declare Corbin on my money. And I publicly declare, this is a vow. This money is the Lord's. When I die, it'll be donated to the church, and the church can use it. Well, then, when my parents need some assistance, they go in a nursing home. They can't afford for the nursing home, and people say, hey, can you help? No, sorry, that million dollars, that's not available because that's Corbin. Now, I could use it for my own purposes because it's a future designation, But I can decline to use it for other purposes, which we would consider godly purposes, because it's already been designated as Corbin. So it's not something that is available. So what they were doing is they were breaking the commandment to honor the Lord, breaking the commandment to honor their father and the mother by using this tradition of Corbin. Verse 14, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. I I love this. And In our D group every week we discuss, you know, the passage that stood out to us. And for me it was this phrase. Because oftentimes I'm encouraged by the fact that the disciples miss the boat consistently. And Jesus says, look, are you so dull? How are you missing this? Now, we can say, man, I can't believe the disciples missed this, but they grew up knowing, like, okay, well, this is what Corbin means, and this is what this means. And they had probably had the, heard the tradition of the elders and all these different things. Don't you see, he continues in verse 18, that, that, that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their hearts, but into their stomach and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. That's good news for the Twinkie. 
He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, Mark is, is highlighting the facts. Mark was written to the Gentile Christians in Rome, most likely. And so what's happening in Rome is happening in other places where the Jewish believers were telling the, the Gentile believers, you can only eat these certain things. Remember that God gave Peter that dream, saying that all food is clean. But Mark here is making a, an extra point to, to show that even Jesus showed that all food is clean. But the issue, really, the central issue of this passage is the heart. It's the heart. It's out of the heart that all these evils come from. It's out of the heart that all this wrong comes from. The Pharisees' problem was their heart. It wasn't these rituals. And so, uh, when looking at a story like this, I, I, I believe the story tells one central message. It's about the heart. But, but I think before we do that, I want to look at two questions about this text that hopefully will help you think through and take this story and say, okay, are any of these things true? These things about the hypocrites, are they true in my life? The first question is, where do you find authority? What the Pharisees did is they added to the Scriptures. They saw the tradition of the elders on the same par as Scriptures. When they were looking at, okay, here's the Scriptures, well, the tradition of the elders, that's the same Level. In fact, often the tradition of the elders interpreted the Scripture, so it was even giving, given heavier weight than the Scripture themselves. I have a, a lot of friends and family who are Catholic, and, and oftentimes we'll get in discussion, and they'll ask me, what's the biggest difference between Catholicism and Protestantism? And I'll say that really the biggest difference is the issue of authority. In the Catholic Church, there's two places of authority. There's the church and the scriptures. And so what they'd say is that it's kind of an equal thing. So whenever you're trying to figure out how you love your life, what does the church say about it? What does the Bible say about it? And oftentimes the church will tell you what the Bible says about it, and, and that's what they'll say is the way you should live or what you should do. Uh, during the Reformation, <clears throat> when Protestantism started, it was because there were people within the <clears throat> Catholic Church that said, Wait, there's something missing here. Some of these teachings, or some of these, in the words of Jesus, some of these traditions of the elders, some of these traditions, some of these teachings, don't line up with Scripture. So there was a movement that came, and one of the main words they said was sola scriptura, only through the Scriptures. Only the Scriptures. And so among Protestants, and especially Baptists, we say the authority is only in the Scriptures. But if I'm being honest and I look around the landscape of America, both Catholics and Protestants alike, I would say in general, most people see themselves as the source of authority. Not tradition, not the church, not the scriptures, but themselves. We live in an individualistic society that doesn't have a high view of authority. So if I disagree with a pastor or preach or teacher, it's fine for them to have their view, but I have my own view. Now, as Christians uh, who are Baptists, we actually encourage that in one sense. We tell people in our congregation, study what I say from the pulpit, examine it, test it with the Scriptures, and allow the Scriptures to, to, to guide you. 
I'm just a humble vessel. I don't carry any kind of special authority. I'm just a guy who loves the Word of God, who's been trained in the Word of God, and who loves to teach the Word of God so that people that want to learn the Word of God can open the Scriptures together and learn. But I remember talking to a friend, and, and they said after the, their, their service, they, they told their kids, I know the priest said that, but we don't believe in that. And it was kind of this idea, well, the church says this, but, but we have our own thing. And even uh, the, one of the greatest uh, studies that's ever been done among teenagers, this was done back in the early 2000s by Christian Smith, uh, and now these teenagers would be uh, millennials, adults, probably 20s, 30s. He coined the term moral therapeutic deism. And this is what he saw the majority of teenagers across all different religions, Christians, Muslim, all different religions, where they landed no matter what they claimed to be their religion. They believed that God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Some still believed in evolution, but they believed that God was over that. They, they believed that God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most religions. They believed the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. They believed that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So if someone has cancer, something like that, then they go to God in those circumstances, but not their daily life. And that good people go to heaven when they die. And I find that when I interact with people outside the church, that, that I find that to be pretty consistently true. A lot of people believe in God, but really their belief isn't rooted in anything specific. It's just a conglomerate of all these different things. And they have these various beliefs that aren't really necessarily taught in any specific way, but this is what they believe because they, their self is the source of authority. We live in a postmodern society where truth is relative. And when you're in class at college, they'll be discussing a book and, and really ultimately the reader becomes the authority instead of the author who wrote it. How do you interpret that? And we have all these conversations a lot of times, and I, I think the, the strongest argument for Christianity, well, there's a lot of strongest arguments for Christianity. I think a strong argument for Christianity is morality. Without Christianity, without God and His revealed Word in the Scriptures, how do you determine what's right and what's wrong? What's your source of authority? And I always have these conversations with people, and it goes down these rabbit trails, and you know, I say, well, what if I felt... What if I felt like it's morally right and morally acceptable for me to kill you? Can you tell me that's wrong? Well, it's definitely wrong. Well, why? Well, the law of the land says it's wrong. Okay. So you say morality is determined by the society. Do you agree with all the laws that we have in America? No? Okay. So you can't really say society determines it. Or if you say, yeah, I, I agree. Okay. Well, what if you lived in Nazi Germany? And, and in that time, Hitler was saying, we need to kill the Jews. At that time, if society, all of society is agreeing and all of society is for it, can you, what position do you have to say that's wrong? Well, I just believe it's wrong. Okay. Well, that's great that you believe that. And I think you're correct. It's definitely wrong. But where do you find the authority to do that? No matter what, you can trace back all these different things. And people have tried to say, well, we've evolved to recognize what's good and what's bad. And so the cultures that aren't as fully evolved then haven't come to that point. But there's always going to be a point of contention. So anybody that says there are no absolutes is making an absolute claim 
that cannot be confirmed. It's contradictory. So where do you find your authority? Because if you find it in yourself, uh, you're going to have struggles because other people are going to have a different source of authority. And how do you determine what's right or what's wrong? So it can't be found in yourself. It can't be found in tradition. But I believe it can be found in the Scriptures. But I believe there's a danger for Christians because I think Christians can fall into this trap as well. When we see ourselves as the authority, instead of seeing the Scriptures as the authority, we start to cherry-pick what we believe in the Scriptures. We, we start to live a life that really where we don't need to make any sacrifices. Even though Jesus called us to lay down our, light, lay down our cross daily and follow Him, when we do it this way, when we see ourselves as a source of authority then it allows us to kind of control what we let in and what we let out and what things we choose to listen to in Scriptures and what things we don't. I bought a backpack today, and uh, this backpack kind of symbolizes the different things that are in my life. Um, I'll start with some work things. First, you know, computer. You kind of need a computer to do everything at work nowadays. Um, You know, be able to have Zoom meetings online, all that kind of stuff. Communicate. That's where I write my messages. And then uh, during this pandemic, you know, I've had to use this a lot more often. I don't get to see people um, every week, so I'm I'm calling more people and uh, things like that. Um, Also, uh, there's different parts of my life that aren't related to work. Uh, So, you know, uh, at nighttime, my kids are always trying to get me to play video games. I I really enjoy playing video games together. So we'll do that. We'll have some fun. We have a, a ping pong table. We actually had four of them. Someone dropped off some broken ones, a whole bunch of drop broken ones. We were able to make one. So if you need a ping pong table, I'm down to one. So if you want one, that's the only reason I put this in here. Even though I love ping pong, it's just free advertising. Please take the last one in my garage. Uh, I love sports, uh, so we love to watch sports. This is actually from Ukraine, kind of cool. One of those little nesting dolls, but with Fedorov on it. And oftentimes what we do... We have all these different parts of our life, all these different things, work, home, family. I had an illustration. I had a Chick-fil-A cup to illustrate going on dates with my wife because we leave every week, once a week, to go out and sit in the parking lot and have a date right now. Um, But I forgot it. So imagine a Chick-fil-A cup, and don't tell Frank about that illustration in there. But lastly, what we do uh, is we take Christianity... And we add it to the rest of the stuff, you know? We put it in the backpack. We just kind of add it. And so we walk around, and we have all these different elements of our life. You know, we have our love of sports, our love of video games, all these different things, all these different aspects, and they're, they're part of our life. But in reality, they're all individual parts. There's no consistency. And what I find is that... A lot of times we just do that. We put Christianity into our backpack and it allows us to have it be a portion of our life. So when we're at church, it's a big part of our life. It's the most important part of our life. But then when we go home, we put it back in our backpack and we pull something else out. And our Christianity stays in the backpack and it's just kind of something on the side that we pull out when we need it or when we want it. See, I believe that when we see ourselves as a source of authority, the results is that we can ignore Scripture on a number of different things. Maybe we find ourselves pursuing the American dream 
You know, we want to have life, liberty, and happiness. And so we want to make as much money as we can and have the best house and the best toys possible. We find ourselves ignoring wisdom from the scriptures that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We find ourselves consumed with greed. But we can justify it because we, we tithe and we give, but yet we ignore the vulnerable and the poor and we don't use our money for God's purposes. Oftentimes we can find our identity in being an American citizen and making all our stuff about the political things in this world and lose sight of our citizenship in the kingdom of God. Or maybe we justify the fact that we, we look at porn and we say it's not that big of a deal. Nobody else, it doesn't affect anybody else, although it's killing the intimacy with our spouse and it's also increasing the demand for human trafficking And all the while we're saying it's not that big of a deal, we're contributing to a global problem. We can ignore a plethora of other commands because they're inconvenient or hard. Drunkenness, premarital sex, gossip, the list goes on and on of things we can easily ignore when Christianity is just something in our backpack and not a relationship that has our hearts. We think because we prayed a prayer at a camp when we were seven, that we're good to go. We did what we were supposed to do. And we don't need to look at our heart and examine, is it right? So the first question is, where do you find your authority? Do you find it in the Scriptures, or do you find it in yourself or some other tradition? The second question is, have you added any extra fences that were unbiblical? Have you added any extra fences? See, what the Pharisees did is they had, here's the law, and they put a fence around it. They created all these extra rules that say, if you're not obeying this, then you're breaking the law. For instance, if you're in the market and then you go to eat, you have to go through this whole cleansing ritual to make sure you're not defiled. That wasn't in the scriptures, but they added it because they wanted to follow God. Now, some fences are good. You know, I have some personal fences for myself. I I never watch a movie with nudity in it. Um, I go on to PluggedIn.com, I see what's in the movie, and I just avoid it. I'm I'm a man who's attracted to attractive women, and so I avoid those things, and that's a fence that I put in my life. I don't drink alcohol. That's a fence that I put in my life because my grandfather was an alcoholic. My great-grandfather was an alcoholic. There's alcoholism in my wife's family. And we've just said the easiest way to never get drunk is to never drink. That's an easy equation. So that's a personal fence that I set in my life. I also set a personal fence about being careful about when and how I meet with women. If I have to meet with a woman one-on-one, then can I meet right next to the main office and keep the door open? How, how can I do that? Those are personal fences that I've set up. So some fences can be good. <clears throat> they can be helpful. But fences can be dangerous when we elevate them to the same level as Scripture and use them to judge other believers. Uh, for instance, let's look at the drinking issue. You know, in 1 Timothy 3, or 5, 23, Paul encourages Timothy to drink a little wine because he was having some stomach issues and frequent illness. Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding. At the Last Supper, he shared wine with his disciples. And so sometimes Christians have done exegetical gymnastics to try and make it seem like Jesus was just drinking grape juice. But there's also commands not to 
get drunk on wine. And I don't know about you, but I've drank a lot of grape juice in my life and I've never gotten tipsy over it. So we go back and try to say that's, you know, try to do these gymnastics Well, alcohol content was this and, and try and make these gymnastics. We're, we're, we're kind of missing the boat. The, the, the scriptures don't say Christians don't drink. They say don't get drunk. And so when we take that principle and, and lay it out, we can cause ourselves to fall into legalism. I find a general rule of thumb that's helpful is if Jesus can't meet a certain standard, we shouldn't hold other Christians to that same standard because Jesus did drink so with that said though the the command to not get drunk on wine is there it's there in multiple places so as christians we need to be aware of that and not just throw that aside in the past we saw lots of fences i mean back in the day fences were a huge thing you know you weren't allowed to go to the roller skating rink you couldn't go to the movies you couldn't play certain types of cards you know the face cards you could play rook or dutch blitz but you can't play with real cards you can't go to dances I know when I first started at First Baptist, there was a, a book and a VHS in, on, on, in the library of my office. I think it was called Hell's Bells. And this VHS was about how they had traveled down to Africa and they listened to this idol worship and the drum beat that they used in the idol worship. And then they analyzed that and they put that along with rock music and they determined that rock music has a syncopated beat and the tribal worship had a syncopated beat and therefore rock music is of the devil. And, uh, and so that was their whole premise. And so there should never be any Christian imitation or Christian substitutes for rock music and that's why uh, some Christian bands like Jeff Moore in the Distance in the 80s wrote songs like Why Does the Devil Have All the Good Music? Uh, and they made the case that music in itself wasn't inherently bad. It was all about the lyrics and how you use the music. Now, some of those kind of things aren't really as, as um, prominent in the church nowadays, but maybe some things that are, maybe some things where there are fence, fences is the style of worship. And people say, well, that kind of worship, style of worship is not worshipful. Or that kind is just bland and it doesn't really honor God because it's, it's using words that, that we don't use anymore. And, and there's fights about the kinds of worship or even style of clothes. You know, at church, if, if you want to dress for God, you've got to dress your best. And someone else says, God cares about the heart. I, you know, why do I need to stress about what I wear when I go to church? And there's all kinds of things like that. Or we take a biblical principle like modesty, which is a biblical principle. Women are to adorn themselves unto the Lord. They're to dress modestly. But then how do we define what that is? And so for a long time, if a woman wore slacks, pants, that was considered immodest or wrong. Whereas now, I wish women would wear more slacks, maybe a little bit longer than the shorts that they wear. But there's these fences that we can make, and it's easy to add extra fences, and it's easy to make Christianity about the rules. You know, don't, don't, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go out with girls that do. It's easy to say, if you do these things, then this is what a Christian life is like. And then the whole focus of your Christian life is about following those rules. And you can neglect the other ones that you see as not important. And you can neglect the heart of the matter while still staying true to follow those things that you've deemed as the most important. Which really gets me to the, to the main point of the passage. This is the driving home point of what I believe the passage is teaching us. And that's this. God cares most about our heart. God cares most about our heart. 
the Pharisees, see, they, they wanted to honor God. I, I believe a lot of times they had good motives. They, they wanted to please God. They wanted to follow God. But there was a lot of selfishness and self-righteousness and pride that seeped into that. And so as they f- followed the letter of the law and the, all these extra traditions and these extra rules and these extra fences that they had put up around the law, they missed God incarnate. They completely missed Jesus. The third member of the Trinity sent down to earth to become a man, take on flesh, and die for the sins of the world. And they were oblivious because they were so focused on their rules. Listen to what he said from Isaiah again. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, religious lists are really easy to check off, but it's a lot more difficult to determine. Is our heart in the right place? Am I honoring God with my motives, with my thoughts? Verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. And then he makes this list. And if we go through this list, we all have in some way participated in one of these things, and we often do. He said, look, it's out of the heart that flows all these negative things. It's not about this list. It's out of the heart. Out of the heart, that's where sin flows. And I want to tell you something important today. God wants to give you a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, 25, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Take from you this heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. In John 3, one of these religious leaders, Nicodemus, went to Jesus by night. He was seeing God do some of these things, and he, he, he was thinking maybe Jesus is the Messiah, but all the other leaders, religious leaders were saying no, and he's this wrong person. So he goes and asks him these questions. And Jesus, one of his answers in John 3, 3, he said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Unless they're born again. See, in John, later in that same chapter, Jesus says to him that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. They will not perish. It's because God loves us. He sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus offers new life, everlasting life, a new heart, a cleansed heart. An undefiled heart. I love it. I put this quote up on there. I love what Daniel Aiken says. There are basically only two approaches to religion, each of which can be summed up in a single word, do or done. The world says the problem is out there, and the solution is to answer the question, what can I do? The Bible says the problem is inside of us, and the answer is what Christ has done. You see, in legalism, we think better of ourselves than Jesus does. But in salvation, we think the same of ourselves as Jesus does. We are hopeless, helpless sinners in desperate 
need of a Savior. Do or done. What does your authority say? What does your religion say? Is it about what you do? If I do these things, if I check these things off the list, then I'm good, then I'm saved. If I do more good things than bad things, then I know I'll go to heaven. How do you know? What's your source of authority? Where do you find the information? I believe God has revealed His will in the Scriptures. And instead of do, it's done. Because we can't be good enough to earn our way to heaven. But Christ, who is perfect, came down this earth, was rejected by the religious, and yet died in our place to provide a way for us to go to heaven. And it's not about what we do. It's about what he did. It's about what's already done. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees your heart. So today we looked at two questions from this passage. First, where do you find your authority? And I want to submit that the best place to find your authority is in the revealed Word of God given to us by God Himself through men. The Bible is a collection of 66 books written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents written in three different languages, and yet it tells one consistent story about God's redemptive plan for mankind because the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit, inspired the Word of God through men so that we have the very words of God. And so it is a place of authority that we can find. Secondly, Have you added any extra fences that are extra biblical? Have you put a list of rules that say, if you don't do this, you're not a Christian, and as long as I follow these things, then I'm good? And lastly, how is your heart? How is your heart? How is your heart? Take a moment. Think through that. Right now. Is it sensitive to the things of the Lord? Are you yearning to follow Him? Are you seeking to pursue Him? Is your heart humble? Or is it full of pride and envy and selfishness and adultery and greed and slander and arrogance and folly and all these other things that are on that list? My last question Is Christianity just something in your backpack? Filled with your life is filled with all the other things that you want to pursue. And so you throw Christianity into there so you can get it out when you want it. Sundays, Wednesdays, when something dramatic happens in your life and you know you at that moment need God. I'll pull that Christianity thing right out of there. I'll open this backpack. I'll search for it. Let's see, I haven't pulled it out in a week. And, and oh, Okay, oh, there it is. Now I got it. Now this is me. But the rest of the week, it's, it's all these other things. And God is ignored. And you never take an assessment of your heart. God cares about your heart. He wants to give you a new heart. And so... Today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can get a new heart. You can put your faith and trust in Christ. It's the same thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, to put your faith and trust in him and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. God wants to give you a new heart. And Christian out there, take an assessment.
Where's your heart at today? Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, we're all tempted to be like the Pharisees. We're all tempted to, with selfishness and pride, look at our lives and say, I, I got it pretty good. I'm going to church. I'm tithing. I'm not, you know, committing adultery. I'm, I'm pretty nice for the most part with my, with my wife and my kids. And I think all in all, I'm doing a pretty good job. We're not taking assessment of our heart. And it can be easy to focus on the, the rules and the lists and the regulations and completely miss the heart of God. Lord, help us to fight against legalism. Help us to fight against this pharisaical way of thinking. Lord, help us to have a new heart. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning we read from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 6. Verses 8 through 12 remind us, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let's sing praise to the Lord who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love.
Thank you for joining us this morning. My prayer for you is that this week you honor God through your motives, your thoughts. And uh, I know it's easy for everyone to get caught up in, in legalism, so I just pray this week you'll focus on your heart. Have a heart for the things of the Lord. Have a great week.